So, what's uh, Sankacharya trying to tell us from these 31 verses? Hmm? Discover ourselves. Exactly. How? By thinking of the higher. Thinking of the higher, yeah. But before we can think of the higher, we have to evaluate the world we're living in. Only then we can think of the higher. Um, it's the, it's see if I say okay, think of the higher. You can't just go away and start thinking of the higher because you're living in the world, and unless you're able to see the higher within the world, it's very difficult. Maybe for a few seconds, for a minute, or maybe you're concentrating, you might be thinking, but every day you can't. So what's he, Sankacharya helping us to do is, he's helping us to see the world and who we are differently by dissecting the world and our material layers, talking about a relationship with the world. And these 31 verses is just there to help us remove our ignorance, our misunderstanding of the world. Okay, so we go straight into the verse. Save that mental energy. So we were just saying what's uh, Sankacharya trying to explain to us. Um, people said, seek the self, uh, think of the higher, which is all right, but it's difficult for us to do. So what he's helping us do is dissect the world, our material layers, who we are, talk about our relationships with the world. And these 31 verses helps us remove our ignorance, our misunderstanding and gives us knowledge to see the world for what it is. And he also explains the true purpose of human life, which we don't know, because we're all caught up in the world. So we're going to go more into detail of that, what is uh, spirituality, wh how what we think is being spiritual is not. So that is another misunderstanding we have. That's going to be in today's verses. Is everyone okay with that? Okay. Did did anyone have a question from yourself? Okay. Great. So we'll start with uh, verse ten. I'll chant and then I'll chant second time and you can join in. Vayasi kate kaha kama vikaraha suske nire kaha kasaraha Shine vite kaha parivaru nate tatve kaha samsaraha Vayasi kate kaha kama vikaraha suske nire kaha kasaraha Shine vitte kaha parivaru nate tatve kaha samsaraha When age is gone, where is the play of lust? When water has dried, where is the lake? 
When wealth is gone, where is the retinue? When knowledge of reality arises, where is terrestrial entanglement, samsara? So what we're talking about is cause and effect here. In the last verse, verse 9, he gave us the formula, the qualities we need to adopt in order to reach the self. Remember he said, good company, be careful what sense objects you touch, contact, um, good satsang, and what does that do? It creates non-attachment, and then it allows you to be steadfast, and then you can concentrate and think of the higher. So here he's talking about He gave us the qualities of what we need to adopt to reach the self. Here he says, when you reach that state of self, when you gain the knowledge of self, what happens? What is the effect? Does everyone know what cause and effect means? Cause and effect. I'll, I'm going to explain to you. Does anybody know what cause and effect means? Yeah. Okay. So, in simple terms, yeah? You eat unhealthy food. The effect is... Unhealthy. You're unhealthy. You put on weight. Yeah. Cause, eating health, unhealthy food. Effect, you become unhealthy. You eat chilies. The effect is, your mouth will burn. Correct? You study hard, and the effect is, you pass with a good grade. So cause is study hard. The effect is, good grade. So you can say right now, you are the effect of all your past causes. You are where you are now, based on all your past causes. You worked hard, saved your money, you're comfortable now. Cause, hard work, effect is, you're comfortable. One more example. I need to use good ingredients. Don't rush in prep. Your cake comes out wonderful. Cause and effect, yeah? i put it in simple terms so you understand it because it can have a very deep meaning. So it's important to understand that it's simplicity. So it gives some example of cause and effect relationships in life. When old age comes, lust fades away. When you are young, you have certain sensual desires, passions. But when you get older, they disappear. You no longer entertain lustful desires. The second example he gives. Where water collects, a lake is formed. When there is no water, there is no lake. Similarly, he says... When you have the capacity to earn wealth, a retinue is there. Remember we discussed in the earlier verse what retinue is. Following, um, they give, uh, you get respect. Yeah, so you have wealth, you get respect, retinue, following. So this is the cause and effect relationship. So he says, as long as you avoid ignorance of this knowledge of self, you will remain entangled in the affairs of the world, samsara. But when you gain this knowledge, your entanglement, samsara, disappears. So the cause is gain knowledge of self, effect free of entanglement from samsara, free from attachments in life. Does that make sense? Right now we're attached, entangled in the world. So they're saying... If you gain this knowledge, what we're gaining now, the effect is free from entanglement. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? 
So he's giving worldly examples to make you understand. Right now we're attached, we're entangled, everything affects us. Once again, this knowledge, the effect is we're free from that. We're attached to, right now we're attached to everything. Boy meets girl, you get attached. We're attached to business, family, wealth. Therefore, he says, gain knowledge of self. And the effect is you become more happier and content. Your relationships with your family becomes healthier. Your thoughts start changing. You're more able to develop your personality. How? Because your understanding of life changes. Therefore, your attitude to life changes. So you gain this knowledge, understanding of the higher, your attitude starts changing. Deepa, as you said, when you were here on your own today, I was listening. Yeah. Since you've been studying, you are less reactive. So the cause is, you've been studying this subject, the effect is your personality is developing where you're able to become less reactive. Right? So that's the cause and effect of studying this subject. You're, because you're able to understand you, you're the world and yourself better, you're in more control of your personality. You know what's making you tick. You know what you have to do if there's any part of your personality you don't like. Right now, you put on weight. You know, if you go gym, you work out, you eat healthier food, you're going to lose weight. You understand that. We're talking about the mental level, the intellectual level. This is what this is saying. We can do, we can change the whole personality by gaining this knowledge. You become free from worry and anxiety, stress of life. So, when you gain this knowledge, what happens? As you start gaining this knowledge, what happens? Fundamentally, what happens? Your perspective is different. You question more. Yeah. Like you said, you react. So you analyze. Okay. Why are you more happier now? You're not less stressed or anxious by anything. You don't, you don't let it affect you. Yeah, you don't let it affect you. Okay. So ultimately, you think you're of the higher, so you like, let, let this be. Let this be. Okay. It's good that you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> See, also what you're doing is, as you gain this knowledge, you're reducing your desires. It's the desires that cause you the stress and the anxiety. Now you have a better understanding of what desires are. And you start reducing them. Automatically, it starts reducing. So as you take up something higher, the lower falls off. Are you talking at the other, because there's two different aspects of desires, isn't there? One is where we desire to have a bigger house. One is we have a desire for somebody to behave in the way we feel is acceptable. So really at this level, are we talking about desires for somebody else's personality or are we talking about desires generally? Generally. Your personal desires. Your personal desires. What we're saying in a nutshell is, as you gain this knowledge, the effect is that you're reducing your desires. When you're reducing your desires, everything else falls into place. Worry and anxiety drops. You're not so entangled anymore. You don't desire for the other person to behave in the way you want to behave. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> See, then you know you're developed. <laughs> the desire to become a better human being, to learn higher knowledge, automatically. <laughs> Obviously. 
the lower desires fall away. <laughs> as you, as we go along in this, um, the next few verses, things will become a lot more clearer. But right now, just understand the cause and effect relationship of life. When you under, when you get this knowledge, these things, this is the effect. You may not believe it right now, but just humor me and understand for that for that for now. Any questions on cause and effect, or what, if something's not clear? We say the world works meticulously on the laws of cause and effect. As we go along, you'll, it'll be a lot bit more clearer. Okay, we'll do verse 11. Ma kuru dana jana yovana garvam Harati nime sat kala sarvam Maya maya midamakilam budva Brahma padam tvam pravisa viditva Ma kuru dana jana yovana garvam Harati nime sat kala sarvam Maya maya midamakilam budva do not act vain over wealth, retinue, youth. Time loots all away in a moment. Having understood and realized all this as totally illusory, you enter the state of reality, Brahman. So, what's he saying? Don't be vain over youth, wealth, and retinue. Time takes everything away. There is nothing you can hold on to. See, why youth, wealth, retinue? Because this is what we value in life today, isn't it? We value our youth, look how young I look, constantly. We value our wealth, look how much money I have. Look how many people respect me. This is what, what makes us happy these days, isn't it? That's what we value in life. It's saying, don't be vain about it, because time will take everything away. There's nothing you can hold on to. If you think about it, it was like yesterday when you were a teenager. It doesn't seem as if it was long ago. Wealth is here one day, gone another. It's difficult to hold on to it. So you said, I have been living in this house, how many? 20 years. It's gone so quickly, you're telling me. Time... Goes just like that. So what he's saying, you have to be prepared for all eventualities. Anything can happen in life. If you're prepared, then you're a philosopher. Youth, reputation, wealth, you can lose overnight. House prices, stock exchange, you can be president of a country. One wrong accusation, your reputation is gone, isn't it? So he's saying, you can't hold on to anything. See, all these things we give an exaggerated value to it. We think it's important. So he's saying, don't get caught up in it. So, don't get caught up in it. It's all passing, temporary. Seek the reality. Only that is permanent. This is what he's saying. Ravi? No. I just think, I mean, that first thing, if you focus on the reality, all the other stuff, you won't be vain anyway. 
because you're moving in the right direction. Sure, absolutely right. But so what we're learning is how to focus. See, for us to focus in the world, it's very difficult because everybody, everything's going against us. Everyone's valuing this. We're valuing the higher. How, how, you know, and even in your own family, everyone's values are different. Your value is this higher. It's difficult. The um, people, because everyone won't understand what you're trying to do, because their values are different. It's not their fault. So, you're right, but we have to learn how to do it. It's a journey. So, seek the reality. Only that is permanent. So he's saying, just one second. Everything in the world that you value is impermanent. Time will take it away. That's what he's saying. Please, Rishi. When you said um, you need to prepare for what eventuality, do you mean emotionally you be prepared? Um, by gaining this knowledge and understanding, and it's saying that time takes everything away, so now you're prepared for it. Okay. Today I look in the mirror, I look like I'm 18. Tomorrow I'll look in the mirror, I'll look like I'm 40. Yeah, what, don't, this is normal, this is how life is. I can't hold on to my youth. You know, today people respect me, why? Because I've got money, I've got a nice car. Tomorrow, that's gonna go. So you're prepared for it. That's what he's saying. And you're right, emotionally. You're prepared for it because it can bring you down emotionally. Any questions? So from verse 12 to 18, he talks about how desires plague you throughout your life. And this is fundamentally what we're talking about. Here. Has everyone got the book? Yeah. I'm not sure if it's in the book. Let me just check. Okay. So let me make write it down here. You all know this already, but just to remind you. So, first twelve will do. Dinaya minyo sayam prataha sisirava santo punarayataha kala krita tigachat yayus. Tadapina munchat yasa vayuhu. Dinaya minyo sayam prataha sisirava santo punarayataha kala krita tikachat yayus. Tadapina munchat yasa vayuhu. Translates to Day and night, dusk and dawn. Winter and spring come repeatedly. Winter and spring come repeatedly. Time sports, life passes, yet the gust of desires leave not. So he's giving you a scenario of how life is and in relation to desires. So, based on that um, equation, God plus desires equals human. Man minus desires equals God. So it's quite straightforward. Drop your desires, you reach Godhood. It's simple. Okay. Not simple. <laughs> <laughs> you drop your desires, you reach Godhood. It's simple as that. 
So what's this verse saying? Day and night passes, winter turns to spring, the cycle keeps repeating, everything passes, but desires don't go. Based on that equation, purpose of life is to rid of our desires using our body, mind and intellect. This is all we have. So our purpose of life, if we want to reach that state of Godhood, we must reduce our desires and finally eliminate them. But instead, what are we doing? Creating more desires. Deepa, you got the answer Every right. Day. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right answer. <laughs> instead, we are do what are we doing? We're multiplying them. It's true, we are, isn't it? But it's not our fault. This is how our makeup is. So he says the purpose of life is not understood. When you're old, it is too late. When you're old, the body does not function. The mind is lost. You can't think clearly. Ralph Waldo Emerson, an American philosopher in the 1800s, says, Every man is a divinity in disguise, a god playing the fool. Which is what that is saying, isn't it? This was in the 1800s. He, I think he read the Upanishads. Does everyone understand that? It says, every man is a divinity in disguise, a god playing the fool. Meaning that you're in the world, chasing desires, you've forgotten that you're the ultimate. See, practically, even if you're just aware that my desires will never end. In this classroom, if you understand that, if you just understand this, my desires will never end. One after the other, it will continue. Therefore, I need to be careful. Be prepared. Be conscious of them. Just this awareness and you have come a long way in life. Why, why just be aware of it? Why, what do you, why would you say that you've come a long way? If you know this formula and you know that I have desires which keep multiplying, you're just aware of that, that's going to help you so much in life. If you just take that away, Where the desire is strong, you need to fulfill it. Where I can control it, I must try. See, that awareness is there. Okay, this desire has come up. It's so strong. I've had this desire. I've been fulfilling it for the last 20 years. It's so difficult to, it's so strong within me. Okay, I have to fulfill it. But I'm aware of it, that it's been plaguing me for a long, long time. I must work on it. While you're fulfilling it, you're aware of it. It may continue for another couple of years, but you keep working on it, it will go. Because you want it to go. Is that like saying, well, desires could be positive or negative? Oh, definitely. Like, yeah, yeah. So, if you're aware of it and the desire is negative, you don't necessarily fulfill that, do you? But your intellect will know it's there. Is that not right? Depends on the strength of the desire yeah, so. and the strength of the intellect. See, in everyone there's some desires which are, because you've been doing it for so long, yeah, <coughs> let's say you're drinking every night, you've been doing it for 20 years, now you feel, you know what, I need to stop. But because you've been doing it for so long, the mind is used to it, it's difficult to stop. But you're aware, I need to stop. 
And because you're aware, that's half the battle. See, now you can work on how to reduce it. So therefore the awareness that I need to reduce my desires and they are a barrier to my development, spiritual development. Just that awareness, you're, you've won half the battle. This is what they're saying. Be conscious of them. When the desire is strong, fulfill it. Where I can control it, I must try. So if it's a weak desire, like you're passing, I don't know, a shop, and you see a new dress or a nice suit, or, and you're, you have desires for clothing, yeah, normally you may go in the shop, you're now strengthening that desire. Try it on. Now you're strengthening that desire more. How much? Is that all it is? A little bit more than I can afford, but if I work out my finances, there you go, desire's fulfilled. You, you, see, you see the suit or dress in the shop, and you, see, you look at it and you think, you know, that desire's popping up, I'm going to carry on walking. You're now aware of that desire. I have a thing for clothing. If I stand here long enough, I'll walk in and I'll end up buying it. Let me just carry on to wherever I'm going. So that's awareness and that's a control of a weak desire. Also a desire that pops up. Does that, does that make sense? But like I said, there are some strong desires. You may take you years to reduce or to eliminate. Can I? We talked about cause and effect, yeah. Uh, and when we talk about the cause and effect, it's not just about what I did yesterday to then have the effect today. No. But um, well, lifetimes previously and years before. So when we talk about desires now, surely there's an aspect of my desires coming up because of an effect from previous time that I don't even recognize because sometimes you you come across something and you think where on earth did that come up from I didn't even want that or do that or expect that and yet you've plunged into it 100% and you're thinking where did that crop up from so there are times when actually to say be prepared aware mm. all of that it's almost like sometimes it's impossible it is impossible. Because you're, you're having an effect from a cause you put... Yeah, but the awareness that anything can happen at any time. Right now, you're saying, okay... You're making, right now, you're saying, because I did something in my past lifetime, this has happened now, I have no control over it. That's it feels like that. I know, it feels like it. But, and you have no control over it. But what they're saying is, you do have control over it. If you're aware, you're prepared, now you know that it, can, it happened from something I did, I don't know, two gemmas ago. Okay, you're, you're ready, you understand that this could happen. Just think, just before you plunged in, plunge in, evaluate, don't just rush into it. That's what he's saying. What Sittal is saying is that cause and effect goes through all different lifetimes. It's not just you ate chilies yesterday, so hence, you know, you got a problem today. What she's saying is, you may have done an act two jamnas ago, yeah, and you could be dealing with the effects of it now. Yeah, that's what she's saying. So how can you be aware of it? Until now, you didn't have any knowledge of this, so you couldn't be aware of it. 
but now you are getting the knowledge of it. So therefore, it's telling, they're telling you how to be aware of it. It's the mind that falls into it. Develop your thinking capabilities, your intellect. So at least maybe 10% of the time you're aware of it and you can control it. This is what they're saying. Slowly, slowly you can build up to it. Also, the cause that you put in today, you can control. I better not eat any chilies today because tomorrow I've got a busy day. <laughs> that you're in control of now, isn't it? So the effect, at least in the future, will be positive. Whatever action I do today, I have to deal with the consequences tomorrow. This is what they're saying. So be careful what actions you do. Yeah. When you, when you were giving this example of walking past a shop window and resisting the temptation, temptation. to buy something, I understand that you, know, you don't always need everything that you desire, but there's nothing wrong with buying Not something that you see and you like. So how does that tie in to cause and effect? Is it because, like you understand that I have loads of design on a daily basis, I don't need everything, but trying to eliminate those desires you, you see as unnecessary. But how does that, the core, I mean, when, when you're saying cause and effect, are you saying that, well, if you did that every day and you bought something every day, that could run you into some sort of debt and then it's not in your control? Is, that, is it that? It depends really from which perspective. I just gave that as a ex simple example that you know where desires pop up is you know we go online, we look at things. Oh, that looks interesting. Five star reviews, blah blah blah. You don't want it. You don't need it. You don't want it, but you're drawn to it. So it's saying that if your mind gravitates to certain areas and you understand that I don't need any more of that, and if I get sucked in there, if I go on that uh, site. I know I'll end up buying something which I don't need, okay? And you're aware of it, <clears throat> then avoid it. That's what it's saying. Nothing wrong with buying it, but if you're trying to control your desires, you're trying not to, you know, multiply them, then you have to start at the basics, wherever the mind goes. If you need it, buy it. Nothing wrong with it. It's sort of come back to the old saying, you know, determine if it's a need or a want. Yeah. This is if you're trying to go on a spiritual path and and reduce your desires. If you're if that is your goal, then this is they're saying this is what you need to do. Because it will never stop. That's what they're saying. As we go on to the next few verses, you'll have a better idea. So right now what we're trying to establish is that desires are never ending and that's what comes in the way of our spiritual growth. Because if you just get that from this verse, that's sufficient. I'm just going into a bit more detail. So an awareness of the fact that I have desires and it's an impediment to my spiritual growth. I need to be content with my life all the time. I'm not going to let my desires rule me. You're in, then in control. You know, in, um, is it in the Old Testament... Uh, when um, who's it? Go, Moses goes up into the mountains and the fire is there who's, and he tells Moses to get hold of the serpent 
and Moses is scared because just get hold of it, hold the serpent. The serpent represents your desires. So he says, control your desires. Once you hold, get hold of the serpent, once you're in control of your desires, then you can move. Then your life changes. You you move. You develop spiritually, going in the right way. But it's very difficult to get hold of the serpent, and that's what that particular episode signifies. He gets hold of it, turns into a staff, and then he uses that staff to help all the Israelites. That's where that uh, falls into place. So the serpent is very difficult to hold. Therefore, to control the desires is very difficult. This is what they're saying. But you have to try. So, if you understand that I need to be content with my life all the time, I'm in a good place. I'm not going to let my desires rule me. Also, this is to help you to deal with your desires. Understand, here in the West, we have all won the lottery of life. Rishi? We have won the lottery of life. But we're not aware of it. Both Rishis I'm talking to. <laughs> we're not aware of it. We're probably in the 10% of the world's population for wealth, comforts. But we still want more. It's not our fault. This is how desires function. They're never-ending. Does that make sense? That's why in all religions, desires mean the devil. Desire in Islam, Satan. In Christianity, Satan. Buddhism, Mara. Hinduism, Asura. Because desires are the barrier between man and God. Knock off your desires and you reach the state of Godhood. Basically who you are. That's what it's saying. This is the barrier. This is what you need to work on. Any questions? So in all the scriptures, desires is personified as the barrier. Verse 13. Kati kanta danagata chinta Vatula kimta vanasti niyanta Vijagati sajana sangati reka Pavati pavarnavatarane noka Kati kanta danagata chinta Patula kimta banasti niyanta Vijagati sajana sangati reka Pavati pavarnavatarane noka What is the worry over your wife? Wealth, O distracted one, is there not for you the ordainer? In the three worlds, association with the good alone becomes the boat to cross the sea of existence. So this verse is aimed at a person who is distracted, deluded by the world, which is all of us, by the way. All of us here. What is this delusion, anyone? What is this delusion that we're all distracted by? Karen. Uh, 
What is the illusion that we're all distracted by? Hmm? The world. The world. Ultimately, yes, the world. Everything is going to be there forever. Everything. We think that wealth and enjoyment in the descri- described in the previous verses, we live in the world, and the only motivation we have is wealth and enjoyment. And we think that's bringing us happiness. This is our delusion. So every action we do is driven by, motivated by, wealth and enjoyment. Wealth here means power, name, fame, etc. So he's saying it's never ending until we die. And it carries on even in your next birth. So he's saying, this verse is saying you're deluded, lost in this throughout your life. What a state you have brought yourself down to. I feel sorry for you all, he says. Because we've worked out that it doesn't bring us happiness. And it's what's motivating us. So why are we chasing something that we know ultimately is going to pass and it's not going to give us contentment and true happiness? Why are we still chasing? Why are we chasing? There's an aspect though, isn't there, that that a um, s- certain amount of wealth brings more comfort in a sense of you can't buy good health with money. However, you can ensure that if you needed to, you can go see a private consultant rather than wait long term in the NHS and have the, this lottery of being enabling you to purchase the medication because where on the NHS it's not available. So there are certain comforts because without a certain amount of money functioning every day is more challenging than if you are living comfortably. So there is that aspect of why somebody would want to. So, for example, Rishi's at university, he's aspiring to get a good grade and, you know, become independent. That is almost expected. And we we would expect that a young person would want to work hard to achieve those things to get to a level. Yeah, not become greedy, but that's not necessarily the case. Like, where does it stop? It's almost... It's a, Relax. <laughs> Let's carry on. Your question will be answered. Okay. Right now, he just feels sorry for us. <laughs> so because Sankara feels sorry for us, he tells us how to get out of this madness. We're so fortunate, he's telling us the secret. So what is the secret? So he's saying in the verse, why are you worried about your wife, your wealth, everything? Isn't there the ordainer? So what's the ordainer? So, first of all, respect and recognize how this world functions. There's someone he calls the ordainer that is looking after this universe. All the laws that are maintained with precision. Okay, we're just describing the world now, yeah? And us as a human being. In the world, gravity is maintained precisely. 
The sun rises every morning without fail, sets without fail. The rain falls for us so we can drink water, for the soil which is maintained for us to grow vegetation. We have amazing fruits, so many varieties of animals. Even in all the species there is a balance, a hierarchy. Who looks after all that? We look at the human body, who maintains the body temperature? Precisely one degree either way we fall sick. Who maintains that? How the body repairs itself automatically? You get a cut within a few days, it's gone. It's like a miracle. Doctors and scientists still don't know all areas of how exactly the body functions. Who created this? The law of cause and effect works perfectly. You plant an apple seed, an apple tree grows, not a mango tree. How's that possible? We take it for granted. So he's saying there's an ordainer, there's someone looking after this world. What are you worried about? Just do the right action. Do what you're supposed to do in, in life and everything will be alright. That's what he's saying. Just do the right action. Follow the right path. Let the ordainer look after you. So what is the right path? He said it in verse 9. Right path is to have the right contact with the world. How do we contact the world? Five senses, body, mind, intellect. The physical level, whatever you contact, ask yourself, is this going to help me grow spiritually? If not, leave it. Remember we said films, we watch, music, we listen, who we hang around with. At the mind level, try to entertain good emotions that help you grow spiritually. It's linked to whatever we contact at the physical level because that transfers as emotions. At the intellectual level, study and reflect on the truths of life, meaning study the scriptures, this knowledge. So by following this way of acting, you are taken from the mortality of birth and death to met immortality, which is one with the self. Only there you will experience complete peace and happiness. So this is what he's saying. Why are you worried about everything? Let the ordainer look after you. I mean, let the world look after you. All the laws are there meticulously. Even the NHS I've given you. Don't worry about it look after you. This is what he's saying. Now you may say, well, he's not looking after me because I've got these problems and I've got that problems. Yeah, those problems are created by you. By not following the right action. So he's saying, just surrender to me, it's okay. Now, you know, it may not be practical. We don't understand how. And we don't have that conviction. That's fine. But right now, that's all he's saying. There is someone looking after you, don't worry about it. I brought you here, haven't I? I brought you to the West. You're not in a third world country. So you didn't choose to come here. Someone, you, you came into this country by chance. And look how your life has turned out. So there is someone up there looking after you. Cause and effect. You've done some good causes. The effect is that you're here. My parents came here, brought me here. Who brought them here? Why you? Why not your neighbour? 
So we don't think about these things because we are all caught up in the world. <coughs> Why only you guys are in this class studying this subject? Why isn't this whole class full? Some cause you put in, this is the effect. So someone is there looking after these laws. That's what he's saying. Don't worry. I don't know who that is, but whoever <coughs> that is, thank you. That's what he's saying. You just do what you're supposed to do. Get to the goal by reducing your desires. How's that somebody outside is it ordaining when you're saying God is within us? It's all pervading. It's all pervading. But what we're saying, what they're saying is that there are laws which are maintained by somebody we don't understand. God is an entity we don't understand. They're saying that God is all pervading, meaning everywhere. So if it's everywhere, it's within us as well. So he's saying just don't worry about it. Remember, he's everywhere. He'll look after you. All pervading means everywhere. See, you're saying that he's within me, so therefore, if I'm not mistaken, you're saying because he's within me, how is that looking after the world? Is that what you're saying? Or, but he's, he's everywhere. This is what we're saying. Not clear? Yeah, this is the hard. It's not as easy to understand this, but this is what the verse is saying. Because we've been brought up with science, it's like cause and effect, and then this is how the universe is, and this is how it's all made. It's hard to then say that this is God looking after everything. But we believe in a higher entity, don't we? Yeah. If we believe in a higher entity, then we don't understand that entity. This is what we're learning. We're learning about this entity. It's something we don't understand. What does G-O-D mean even? We get clouded because of the word God and how we were brought up into understanding what God is. If you remove that word, and as you said, just call it an entity. What is that? We don't know. Your, your mind frame should be, I mean, you start thinking differently. At the moment, I mean, God, for me, look at all the Murtis and that's what God is. See. So it's just clarifying things. Now, right now, this is a new word, ordainer. Okay, we may not understand it. Let's just leave it. Doesn't matter. We'll just say, okay, look, I don't understand it a bit. It's fine. We'll move on. And maybe later, you will get some idea. It's fine. This is what Sankara says in seven eighty eight. <laughs> We're just trying to work it out. So he's saying that, just do what I say, good satsang, control your senses, control your desires, and think of the higher, and you'll be okay. You'll be able to get out of this world. Verse 14. Jatilo mundi lunchita 
One with matted locks, one with head shaven, one with hair pulled out, one disguised variously with ochre robes. A fool, though seen, sees not. Indeed, the varied disguise is for the sake of belly. So now he talks about um, people who we think are spiritual. People who claim to be spiritual, religious, but don't follow the path given in the previous verse, verse 13. He's saying this is the way to Jivan Mukti, immortality. This is the goal. So he's talking about people who are spiritual, but they don't, they don't follow the path. So it says they are false practitioners. They may wear orange robes, may have a shaven head, have plaited hair, all the signs of I'm a renunciate, meaning I've given up the world. But if they don't follow the path given, then they are fake sannyasis. Now please don't misunderstand that, oh, this guy, he doesn't know, you know, he's fake or whatever. You know, he doesn't know that he's, not, he's on the wrong path. He thinks what he's doing is being spiritual, so it's not his fault. But he's saying if they don't follow this, they're, they're not spiritual people. Spiritual in the sense, trying to become one with the self. Yeah? So don't condemn them. They're just slightly delu they're deluded. They think doing this is what's going to liberate me. It won't. That's what he's saying. They do strange practices to show that they are religious. They do these little magic tricks. People say, wow, you know, you may have some godly powers. They may say, I won't talk for a month, but the mind is everywhere. Some say, okay, I'm taking a tapas one month, I don't say a word. But the mind is thinking of everything. It's just not talking. What's the, diff what's the point? He knows how to perform all the rituals. He knows the Bhagavad Gita of heart. But still he doesn't see the self, the divinity. He revels just in that. So he says they do it just for the belly, meaning money, name, fame. In other words, what he's trying to say is that orca robe, shaven head, all these signs of unreligious, but they're still full of desires. See, unless you're on the path to reduce your desires, then only then you are a spiritual person because you have to remove desires to become one with the self. So that is being spiritual. Any attempt to become one with the self is being spiritual. You can do everything else unless you, it's taking you to that goal it's not being spiritual in the true sense. This is what he's saying. They don't see the reality. They are far from it. They, he calls them fools. They are in it, but still can't see it. See, I mean, you think about it, spiritual business is the biggest business. There's so many of them. We're not going to go into names. See, in the Gita, it says, Ya pasati sa pasati. Those who see it 
see it. No matter who you are, what you are, what you're doing. If you see it, you see it. You don't see it, you don't see it. So you can be in the spiritual business. You can be in, in, in working in a temple and not see it. There are people who go to these temples um, and they, let's say, go from all the way from here to India. They go on the pilgrimage, they go to the temple, they wait. They go up the mountain for how many hours? And then when you get to the murti after like six hours waiting in a queue, you, you go about ten seconds. And then you have to carry on. The guy's working there, they want a holiday. Okay, I've had enough, I need to go on holiday. <laughs> They're there permanently. So you can be there and not see it. This is what he's saying. You can have all the paraphernalia of being spiritual, but not be spiritual in the true sense. Those who see it, see it. So you don't need to follow anybody. As you said rightly, God is within you. Read these scriptures written by self-realized souls, and they tell you how to get there. You just have to put in the effort. It's there. We just have to learn and put it the right effort and we'll get there. You don't need to shave your head or wear ochre robes. Any questions? He's not condemning them. He's I mean, he's saying they're fools, but the fools in a sense are deluded. They think they're being spiritual. You know, it's not their fault. Making us aware. It's making us aware. Yeah. Don't fall for that. You know. And in India, we go, we see people in ochre robes. They're they're doing all sorts of things. You know, but because we they wear ochre robes, we automatically think they are being spiritual. But we don't know what what their true actions are. What their true externally, just because you look in that way, doesn't mean internally. You have that um, goal. Isn't there like a saying in our culture where they say that, you know, when, whenever you meet anyone, you should assume they're God or you should greet them like they're God? Someone was telling me that. Because we don't know who internally who they are, you know, whereas. When we see someone who's wearing robes and things like that, you, you associate that with, you know, godlihood. But actually, on our, in, a, in day to day life, when you come across people, you're never hundred percent aware of what they really are. They could be God in that respect. Well, if if you if you understand this philosophy, everyone is God. You know, when you do this, that means your your atman and mm. my atman are one. Okay, that's what it means. So that's a sign of respect. But. Internally, there where they are on the spiritual path, we don't know, no. But we're respecting them by by doing this. Where they are, we don't know. So it's an individual journey. This is what it's saying. Just do your own thing. I'm telling you what to do, how to do it. Great self-realized souls are saying this is the way to Jivan Mukti, liberation from this world. He's telling you it that 
the world is an illusion, the world will not give you happiness, only this will give you happiness. Now it's up to you what you want to do. And stay deluded, or you can have faith and move in the right path. That's what I say. And um, as I said in the beginning, we're just removing our ignorance, our misunderstanding of what this world is and who we are. That's all we're doing here. Then it's up to the individual. Yeah. So he's t- continuing talking about desires. Yeah, these next five verses, as I said, they're all talking about desires and how they come in our lives. Verse fifteen. Angam galitam palitam mundam. Dasanavinam jatam tundam Vritto yati gritva dandam Tadapina munchat yasa pindam Angam galitam palitam mundam Dasanavinam jatam tundam Vritto yati gritva dandam Tadapina munchat yasa pindam the body has become decrepit, head turned grey, mouth rendered toothless. Clasping a staff, the old man moves about, yet the mass of desires leaves not. Mm-hmm. You understood that one? So 1567, he explains how desires cannot be eliminated through indulgence, meaning fulfilling them, or by staying away from desires, abstinence, or by rituals. So we said we have to reduce our desires and remove them, right? That's what they said. So now he's saying how you cannot remove desires. These ways you cannot remove desires. 15, 16, 17 says you can't remove desires in this particular way. So, and these three ways are, as he said, abstinence, by moving away from them, by rituals, or by fulfilling them. So this verse is saying, when you have become old, all your teeth are missing, your hair is grey, you can't walk properly, talk properly, your body is worn out through all the sensual pleasures you have enjoyed throughout your life, even then you are full of desires. So it's, once again we're saying, desires never leave you. They keep multiplying no matter what. This is the point we're trying to make. You have experienced life, done so many things, traveled so many places, got married, had children, they have had children, you've had successful business, have all the comforts, still you're full of desires. Was that recent Amazon owner, Jeffrey Preston Bezos, just getting divorced mm-hmm. so he can marry another woman? Nothing wrong with that. But what we're saying is, even though you have everything, there will still be desires. We're not criticizing him or anything like that. He has all the wealth, the richest man in the world, but still he desires a different partner. So obviously wealth is not making him completely happy, isn't it? He still has unfulfilled desires. You ask someone in the the 80s or 90s, they will still tell you, I wish I had done this. Or if only I can still go here just one more time. We're not saying it's right or wrong. We're just evaluating how desires manifest. 
it explains the fact that what Sankaracharya is saying, desires never leave you. No matter how many desires you have fulfilled, it will never end, no matter what. So the point is, you can't get rid of them through indulgence, fulfilling them. Yeah, this is the point he's trying to make. So by fulfilling desires, you're not going to reduce them. They will keep multiplying. Yeah. Some of these verses are now just to the point, basically. So we can go through them a bit more quicker. Verse 16. Agrevani kriste banu ratraukchubutsas marpita januhu Fire in front the sun behind, knees tucked to chin at night, receiving alms in palms, living under trees, yet the bland band of desires leave not. So this is uh, talking about a person who's given everything up. So he's saying, okay, by fulfilling desires, I'm not reducing them. I'll stay away from all desires. I'll give everything up. Just the clothes on my back, then let me see what happens. So he's saying, even then your desires won't leave you. Just because you give up everything, all your possessions, doesn't mean desires will leave you. So he gives an ex ex example to the extreme. The scriptures does that. It gives you an extreme example. It talks about a person who has given up everything. He only has the clothes on his back. He lives under a tree. The sun is his heat in the day fire in the night to keep him warm. Only eats what people give him. Even then his mind is full of desires. The desires do not leave him. This is what he's saying. So what Sankatari is saying is just because you're giving up, being, staying away from everything, abstinence, that's not the answer either. Your desires will still take you. Inside you still have desires. So what is it that you can't fulfill them, you can't stay away from them? What to do? What to do? It's a quandary, isn't it? It's not easy, these scriptures. So is it better then to think that what is the highest form of desire I could have? Um, and if I focus on that, then hopefully with the ordainer there, he helped me to get rid of the lower ones. I don't know. Is it also saying by portraying externally, you're still not satisfying your internal self by giving up clothes, and that's all external materialistic stuff. So if you haven't addressed your inner self, then exactly, that is absolutely right. <coughs> Excuse me. Externally, you can do whatever. You know, these chaps wear ochre robes thinking I'm spiritual. So you've given everything up thinking, okay, now 
that's fine, now it's going to leave me. But it's not because you have to work inside on your personality. So how do we do it while we're in the world now? We're living in all, all, all of us are living in Kenton. How do we do it here? So he's saying, it was, it was given earlier on. So abstinence is not the answer, yeah? You still have desires. We all agree with that. So he's saying you need to drop the possessive attitude that you have. So how do you control desires? This is what he's going to talk about now. You need to drop the possessive attitude. My house, my car, my child, my wife. Drop the minus, the craving. See, actually, nowhere it says in the scriptures that you have to give up anything. Okay, you're safe. I'm never going to say give up anything. No way it says give up anything. The way to give up the desire is to take up something higher, as Sittle said. When you take up something higher, the lower falls away. You take up a bicycle, the toys fall away. You're not interested in your toys, you've got a bicycle. You take up a car, the bike falls away. You know, I have no interest in a bike now. You take up your a family, your teenage passions fall away. They can't give up anything. These sages knew, know that. No human can give up anything. They know that. They know how the mind works. You can only take up something higher. So renunciation, giving up, is not actually physically giving up anything. What is it? Taking up something higher. So renunciation is just growth to a higher level. I just, once you grow to the higher level, the lower falls away. The lower desires start falling away. So all you have to do is take on higher knowledge, grow spiritually, grow, develop yourself. See, when you go in the gym, you're, you're working out. You've done a one-hour workout. Are you going to go out and have a bag of chips? Maybe. But you're conscious. I just spent an hour. I only lost 200 calories. Man, this chips is like 800 calories. <laughs> That's going to take me four hours to run off. You know what? <laughs> the lower falls away because you're taking up something higher. I'll have a half a bag. <laughs> just as a silly example, it puts it in perspective. Yeah. You know, something we can all relate to. So when you take up something higher, you've taken up health then anything that's going to make you unhealthy is going to fall away, you'd think. Or you'd be more wary about it. This is what it's saying. So you take up something higher, the lower desires fall away. So this is how to develop. This is how to move on a spiritual path. So you start studying higher knowledge, scriptural knowledge, the Vedas. The lower, which are desires for worldly things, will fall away. Meaning you're reducing your desires. So all you have to do is, these books you have, study them in the morning if you can. And you'll be surprised the effect it will have on you during the day. Because when you absorb it in the morning, see right now, you've come, you're coming once a week to Sunday class. A few people have said, oh, it's had a really positive effect, my attitude's changed, my thinking has changed. You're just coming one class a week. Now imagine if you spend 20 minutes in the morning studying a little bit. Can you imagine how much difference is going to be then? 
Think about it. That stays with you throughout the day then. So every morning, it's like how you have breakfast. It sustains you till one o'clock. This 20 minutes of studying this subject sustains you for the rest of the day where your intellect is there, aware for any desires that come along. That's what you have to do. If you can't do 20 minutes, just study 10 minutes. Just study one verse in this. And see. You, unless you try it, you're not going to know. But when you try it and you realize the effect it has on you, then you'll say, you know what, I better put more time in this because this is really helping me. That's a start. So, are we all still awake? Okay. These verses are quite sort of straightforward and not too, too difficult. Verse 17. Kurute Ganka Sagara Jamanam Vritta Paripalana Matvatanam Jnana Vinaha Sarva Matena Muktimna Pachati Janma Satena Kurute Ganga Sagara Jamanam Vritta Paripalana Matvatanam Jnana Vinaha Sarva Matena Muktimna Pajati Janma Satena One proceeds where Ganges meets the ocean, strip, strictly observes vows or is charitable. A hundred lives thus, bereft of knowledge, is no way to liberation by all beliefs. And now we're talking about what some spiritual practitioners do and they think it's spiritual. Yeah? So he's saying, so-called religious practitioners who does ritualistic practice mechanically, he's talking about mechanical ritualistic practice. Yeah, If you understand the ritual that you're doing, what the meaning is and how it's going to help you, no problem. Yeah? But when you do it mechanically without understanding, that's what he's talking about. So, he says, one can take up religious vows. I will fast every Monday. I won't eat meat on a Thursday. I will do puja every day for the month of May, etc. One can do lots of charity. One can go on pilgrimages, Chardam, Mount Kailash, visit other famous temples. You know, we do, we, people do that. It says, go to where the Ganges meet the ocean. So, where the Ganges meets the ocean is a sacred place. Because that signifies when the individual Atman becomes one with the reality. So the Ganges represents the Atman, us individuals. When it meets the ocean, we become self-realized. It means, it signifies that you have become one with the self. So it signifies self-realization. So people go there to pray. It says, these are all good practices but a waste of time if these practices are not supported by the knowledge of the self. Does that make clear? It doesn't condemn it, but without understanding, they are just acts, action, you know, without any merit. It won't get, he says, you can do this for a hundred years, but it won't get you to the ultimate goal, which is enlightenment, is what he's saying. 
See, all these practices are there to remind you of the higher, the self. Help you to get to your goal. But if you're not aware of your goal, then how can it help you? If you don't know where you're going, you can take all the buses and trains. You're never going to get to your goal unless you know your destination. So you can do all these things, but unless you know the ultimate goal, how is it going to help you? That's what he's saying. Good. So he's saying that you can be reminded of it by doing these practices, but don't assume that that's going to take you to the ultimate. If you need that, um, you know, if you need, if you need to go on this to be inspired, that's fine. But don't think that act alone is going to get you to the goal. That's what it's saying. I did four pilgrims pilgrimages last year. Great. But he's at the same place. He hasn't given up meat. He's still doing all the negative practices, whatever he's doing. How has that helped him? So he's saying, unless it's helping you to get to the goal, they're pointless exercises. So ultimately what he's saying is, only the knowledge of self will help liberate you from this entanglement, from this samsara. And all other religious practices alone will not liberate you. Yeah? He's not condemning them. Yeah. So, Dominic's misunderstanding does not mean you should stop what you're doing. It's an understanding. Whatever religious practices I have been performing has brought me up to this level. Yeah? Every past action you've done has brought you up to here. No? So they were not being a waste of time. But now for me to spiritually develop further, I need knowledge to take me to the next level. Eventually, as you gain this knowledge and you, and you grow spiritually, you will understand the value of whatever previous practices you were doing, that these are all starting points on your spiritual journey, not the end of the journeys. See, until now, we're not aware of the goal in life. We're not aware of that uh, equation. So you can do all the spiritual practices, but if you're not aware of the equation, that goal, then they're not going to get you to where you want to get to. Any questions? I won't. I'll stop here. Everyone looks tired now. A lot to take in, but it's got a straight. Th- it's got a theme. You know, we're working on that equation, and we're trying to justify how desires manifest. And I think we all agree what he's saying is a fact. Now, don't be disheartened, because verse eighteen makes everything much better. But we're not going to go into it. <laughs> After verse 18, you'll be saying, Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> That's why I'll leave you at that point. <laughs>